0: All Talks of Life with Chris Viniquez. Welcome back in. That's right. This is All Talks of Life. And I'm your host, Chris Viniquez. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition to the newest episode of All Talks of Life. Glad to be back with you. Hopefully, you've been enjoying the episodes and the content coming out in the recent days. A lot of stuff going on in the world. NFL draft coming up. Elon just bought Twitter. People going crazy, melting down, all that stuff. The world continues to spin. Things continue to happen. Obviously, wife, children for myself, you know, things like that. Baseball, football, swimming, all this other great stuff going on. Obviously, cannot leave out. What else is going on in my life? As always, what's going on is just trying to connect and get closer to God, trying to connect and get closer to the word of God, trying to understand more about him, more about his word, you know, more about my life through him and his word. I hope that everybody out there listening to me right now, that you guys are just blessed and full and that everything is going the way that, you know, God has planned and intended for your life, because that is the best way. That is the best plan. But I know that sometimes it doesn't seem like that's going on in our lives. So I was reading before. I, I got into recording when I woke up 6 a.m., I got my biblical alarm, if you would say, or if you will. You know, 6 a.m. I get a notification on my phone every single day from my Uversion Bible app. And it's the verse of the day. And the verse of the day just spoke to me so strongly when I woke up the morning that I recorded this. And the verse of the day says this through the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Romans chapter 5 starts at verse 3 and ends at verse 5. Let me read it to you. It says... And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The reason why this verse spoke so so loudly and so strongly to me as i read it when i woke up was because not only in my life but in the life in the in the lives of others around this world in and out of the body of christ people get fatigued so i want to title this today the fatigue factor because The late, great Kobe Bryant said this after a playoff loss one time uh, to the Dallas Mavericks, I believe it was in 2011. If I'm not, yeah, 2011. They had just lost four games to none in the second round. And he told the commentator, exhaustion will make a coward out of any man. Now, here's the thing, though. I agree, but I don't agree. And the reason why I agree is because I've been there, I've seen that, I've done that, and I'm sure that as you're listening to me now, you know that that's true also. That you do not do things the way that you normally do them when you're exhausted. That the way that things unfold in your life, be it work or be it family or be it whatever, unfold best when you are not tired, when you're not fatigued, when you are not fatigued, when you are not exhausted, right? I mean, I I know that's that's makes it's common sense, right? It's like, duh, Chris. I I understand that. Okay, I'm trying to get to a place here. I don't agree with it because of what is said here in Romans. So. In Romans, in verse 5, he said, This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Right? So our hope is not going to disappoint us. Meaning that no matter how tough the battle, no matter how bad things get, the hope that we have In our hearts, because of the Holy Spirit, because of God's love, will not allow exhaustion and fatigue to defeat us. So I agree with Kobe in the natural sense, from the physical standpoint. Yeah. And that's what he was talking about. The physical standpoint, when you get worn down to that exhaustion point, your brain just starts to think, how can I get rest? And your brain begins to think how just of how exhausted and tired I am. So I get that. I understand that. But I want to take it to a to a spiritual level. Because that's what we, that's what we do on this show. And thinking about that, I just say to myself, man, how, how is it that we can, how is it that Paul sits out here and says, we boast in our afflictions? And he, and he tells you, the answer in the next right right in the in the same sentence right after the comma he says because we know that our affliction produces endurance so meaning that the more we go through stuff the more issues arise and the more that we make it through the more endurance we're going to develop it's like when you go to the gym day 1 you come out you're exhausted you go in day two, you feel a little better. Day three, you feel even better and so forth. Because that endurance produces proven character. That's what, that's what he's saying here as he follows up. So every time that I'm attacked, I'm, attacked, I'm afflicted, I go through something. On the other side, I got to remember there's proven character coming out of this. Meaning that I'm going to get better. Meaning that the fatigue factor as a human is understandable. But the spiritual factor, the Holy Spirit factor, the word factor, the fact that I have Jesus strengthening me, as he said in his word, is in play, is always in play. That's the thing we got to remember. It is always in play. And the thing is that fatigue has made a lot of people give up. And the reason why I'm saying this is because fatigue has caused a lot of people and numbing has caused a lot of people to just go by the wayside. Not only in the spiritual world, but also in the natural world. Right? So in in this week, as this podcast comes out, The day after Elon Musk bought Twitter, a lot of people had given up on saying, hey, I live in a free country. But there are some people that didn't give up and said, you know what, we got to find a way to get free speech back to the way that we had it a long time ago. Because the thing is that there are a lot of people that say, well, we have free speech, but they're scared to talk because of the consequences They could fall out from that, losing a job, losing a spouse, losing family members, losing friends. So then how free are you really? Think about that. How free are you? If you're scared to speak, it's like when you go to work and you say, well, I got free speech, I can say whatever I want here, as long as not criminal. But there are certain things you won't say, there are certain things you won't speak up about, Because you're scared to lose your job So there are certain states That have um, protections And with these protections Comes the fact that if you want to speak about Setting up unions at your job Or doing other things at your workplace You are protected Now not every state has that and not every company practices that. I understand that. But there are protections in place so that, you know what? You can be a person who speaks freely. So that you can have free speech. It doesn't mean that those things are gonna come to pass, that your suggestions are gonna come to pass. That's not what that means, but it means that you have a platform to speak about it wherever you go. So some people were, you know, just giving up on the idea like, hey man, this is where I live. This is how things are going. But there are a lot of people that didn't give up on that. Now, I know it's easy for you to say, hey, that's the richest man in the world. You know, he had the money to put it up. 44 billion bought Twitter and still is not even half of his wealth. I understand that. But there there were a lot of people against him. Obviously, the ones that were for him that lent him the money and also the ones who invested with him obviously, you know, the money was there and those those are the ones that matter. But it doesn't negate the fact that there were a lot of people who were against. That there were a lot of people who were like, you know, I gave up on that a long time ago. Or there were people who were against that was like, you know what? I'm not with what you're saying and what you're doing. But Elon Musk continued to power along. Said, I am going to offer Twitter $54.20 per every share. It's gonna come out to $44 billion. And you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hire the price. I'm not gonna negotiate. This is my price. All because he wanted free speech to continue on. Now, I know that there are skeptics that say, hey, let's see what happens. Absolutely. But what I'm trying to get to the point is that. There's a the fatigue factor. He could have gave up. But obviously, that there are protections also in place that favored him because had, had he given up because the Twitter board was so staunch and adamant to not sell to him and he would have just said, all right, they don't want to sell to me. You know, they could have been ramifications From the Twitter shareholders to the Twitter board where the Twitter shareholders could have sued the Twitter board for more than what they're worth. You got to understand that the shareholders are the ones who own the company. The ones on the Twitter board are the people who are, you know, managing stocks. And what they're doing is they're just up there, just, you know, representing Representing the folks that are shareholders, representing the investors, because investors, they got other things they're invested in or they got jobs, they got lives, they they got different. They not They're not going to sit up in a boardroom all day discussing how do we better this company? They just put their money in there. In a company that says we're going to invest your money with us into this stock, they're like, all right, fine. Let's let's go there, let's invest our money to Twitter Fine, cool, alright I know it seems like I'm getting off topic here But here's the point They did not get tired And when I mean they, I'm talking about the people Who kept screaming on social media You know, don't give up on free speech Don't give up on posting. Don't give up on talking. Don't give up on coming to the table. That's what I mean. They like all those people that you listen to, that we listen to, that will continue to tell us, Hey, it's a fight. We know it's hard, but let's keep on going. So the thing was that, you know, but but before I come back to the word, the crux of it all was that had the Twitter board came back and told everyone else, uh, the shareholders, well, we're not going to sell to Elon because we don't like his idea of free speech. The shareholders would have said, that's not good enough. We're calling our lawyers and, you're, and our lawyers will call your lawyers because what you're supposed to do is look out for our best financial, uh, financial well-being. And you're not doing that because somebody is, is offering to buy our stock at $54.20 a share, which is way above whatever it is right now. So we stand to make millions, and some people stand to make hundreds of millions off of this deal. So if you're not gonna take care of us financially, which is what our contract is with me investing my money into your company, because you're an investment company, I'm an investor, then I'm gonna sue you. And there's so many shareholders at Twitter, That there was was nothing the the Twitter board could do and the investment company could do because they knew that they were going to be tied up in litigation for so much time and for so much money that it's just a losing proposition. But the great thing is that a lot of people didn't give up. And that's in the natural world. And that's a great thing because also it helps us as spiritual people to also be able to speak out. Now, it might not happen as much on Facebook or, or Instagram and things like that, you know, where we might get shadow banned or whatever, or it might not happen so much on Twitter. And it, it, it remains to be seen. So we'll see what happens. But there are other places where we can speak out, you know, where, where we're not shadow banned and where things are not like, you know, just cast off to the side or thrown to the bottom of, of the timeline or whatever, right? So in a way, it helps us out out as well. There were certain people back in the day that said, oh, when television came out, you know, certain Christians that were like, hey, you know, this is not something we should use. But then Christians began to find out. Hold up, wait, we can use this because mass audiences are seeing Elvis on television. They're seeing others on television and what they're spreading is not something we would like to be spread. Because it sends out a bad message, whatever that was back in the day. So we can spread the message of the gospel. So wait, television is a good thing. It is a good medium. We just have to use it the right way. So getting back into Romans. All of this is just to say. That there are times where people get tired and people get fatigued. It happens in the natural world. It happens in the spiritual world. Happening in all of the wars. You get tired from not eating. You get tired from hearing bullets. You get tired from hearing cannons. You get tired from getting orders. You get tired from being in the mud. You get tired from not seeing your family. You get tired from the mental anguish, from the trauma that you're seeing people dying right in front of you. You get tired. That's what happens. You get tired. But the wars were won in the word of God, in the Bible. All the wars that you see won. Won by the people who kept going, who were stronger. Who decided we are going to win. World War One, World War Two. The troops decided to continue to go. We're going to stand up for our country. We're going to stand up for what we believe in. And I just believe that the same things apply in the spiritual world. To a certain extent, to a certain sense. Because we're in a war every single day. We're in a war for being able to speak out. And I'm talking in the spiritual sense now. So many things happen, right, that that the that the kingdom of darkness wants us to shut up, not testify, not speak about the light, not speak about the things that we know will bring hope to people. Because the hope that we speak doesn't disappoint. That's what that's what I just read in Romans. So let's continue to hold on to the hope. That is the strength of God The hope That is the love that is poured into our hearts Because that hope is not going to disappoint us That strength is not going to disappoint us Now there are times where mentally Man, we're down Physically we feel down Spiritually we feel down I understand that because I've been there and I've done that But the thing is We got to get back to that connection a lot of times why people are fatigued is because they've allowed themselves to be numbed and entertained by other things instead of being fed by God. Now, when I say fed by God, what I mean is speaking to other people, you know, in your congregation or, or, or people that are not even in your congregation that you just know, love the Lord, love the word and can pour into you. Going to your church and receiving a word going to your church and participating in the worship, even though you're not the one in the front, but participating in the worship, receiving, being fed by God. So a lot of times we get fatigued because we are not connected. A lot of times we get fatigued. Because we're not fed will mount. We are malnourished. Sometimes we're fatigued because we're not in our prayer closet. Sometimes we're fatigued because we're discouraged and we allow discouragement to take us not to boast in our affliction, but say our affliction is greater when that is not the case. But when we remember that our affliction produces endurance, meaning that when we are in this spiritual gym and we get worked out by the trials and tribulations of life, we're going to understand how, when we come out the other side, how to deal with these things. We're going to understand how to be better parents at the end of it, how to be better neighbors at the end of it, how to be better speakers at the end of it, how, how to be better, just better to everyone at the, at the end of it in whatever area of life you're in right now. Better workers, better colleagues, better whatever it is. We're just gonna come out the other side much better. Which is why we just gotta continue to hold on to the hope. Because we are not gonna be disappointed. Because we know when, the, when these things happen, we're gonna have that proven character. We got that proven character. We can help others out that are going through what we're going through right now. So I know that there are people listening to me right now. Hey, you've gone through some really, really dark times, some really, really crazy stuff. And then three years later, five years later, 10 years later, somebody's going through the same thing. And now your proven character can help that next person out. So don't let the fatigue factor take you out. Because I know that there are times where I've been sitting in the church and I'm fatigued because of whatever reason. Maybe I'm getting beat down and attacked a lot. Maybe I'm disconnected. Whatever it may be or whatever it may have been that got me fatigued at that moment. My thought, my understanding is this. The hope that I have is not going to disappoint me. The hope that God is going to lift me back up by me humbling myself is not going to disappoint me. Because I did something wrong to get fatigued. Something happened because I got fatigued. There's something that I got to find out why I'm fatigued, why this is factoring into my life. And I got to shift, adapt, and get better. Now, athletes know this. People in business know this. they are people that get burnt out. They messed up somewhere. There are people that learn from that burnout and learn how to adapt, learn how to get better. And then come back, retool, recharge, re-energize, and understand how to, how to win, how to how to come out with that proven character afterwards in all walks of life, everywhere. It happens in everything. So don't let that fatigue factor. Don't let that fatigue factor you out of the equation in whatever you're going through right now. You're fatigued because you're sick. You're fatigued. Because someone left you, you're fatigued because you can't pass school, you're fatigued because work is tough, you're fatigued, whatever it may be. But you can't let that factor in to you being defeated. Elon Musk said, I'm not going to be defeated, no matter if they throw out a poison pill, no matter if they conspire against me. Plenty of people Plenty of people in our society right now are saying, I'm not going to allow this fatigue to defeat me. I'm going to find out how to readjust. That's what I got to do. That's what you got to do. We got to readjust. In those times of exhaustion. Find out how to keep on going. While at the same time energizing, while at the same time getting strengthened. And that's the thing in the Christian walk, that we have the Holy Spirit, the one who never, ever gets tired. That's the secret sauce that we have right inside of us. God inside of us, Jesus inside of us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That at the same time, While we feel the beating and the bearing down of life, of the waves crashing, you know what? There's one inside of us that doesn't feel that at all because he's almighty. So as you're sitting down and as you're saying to yourself, hey, man, I want to give up going to church. I want to give up all the I want to give up life. Just remind yourself of this. Affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Don't let life's fatigue factor. Into you giving up anymore. That hope will not disappoint you. And that hope is the power of the Holy Spirit. Boxing over the weekend, let's get to it. The heavyweight champion of the world, Tyson Fury, Knockball stopped. Challenger Dillian White in the sixth round. TKO. Uppercut shot did it. um Some people say there was a push. There was a push. I'm not going to say there wasn't. But Dillian White says that that was the reason why he got up a little dazed. Not so sure about that. You know, that shot put him down pretty good. Referee stopped the fight. Some people think prematurely. Some people think you know it was stop right on time and things like that i think the referee could have gave dillian you know a couple more seconds and he came out and see if tyson would have tried to finish him and then you would have called the stoppage but maybe just a tad pre maybe just a tad premature But nonetheless i think that you know tyson fury is well on his way to winning a well on his way to winning if not a decision, but maybe, you know, would have stopped him somewhere down the road. So maybe not so premature. But nonetheless, Tyson Fury remains the heavyweight champion of the world, the lineal heavyweight champion of the world, the title that matters in the people's eyes because the man who beat the man who beat the man. Ric Flair said it best, to be the man, you have to beat the man. Woo! And we understand that Tyson Fury is the man who beat the man Vladimir Klitschko of all those years ago. Getting into Tyson Fury and some of his comments after the fight is what I really want to get into because I'll get into some quick fight analysis before I get into what I really want to get to. Before the knockout, I thought obviously that Tyson Fury is well in control of this fight. He has five, he had five inches on Dillian White coming in at height. And he also had about six, seven inches arm length in the reach. So just a fight that he controlled from the outside, obviously, you know, about the first round, they felt each other out. Second round was getting a little bit more testy, like, you know, Tyson was trying to rev it up, trying to get it to go. But by the third round, Tyson was, you know, in that full-fledged mode, like he was ready to go. He was ready to fight. So I saw Tyson Fury come out, just try to download the information. How is my opponent coming at me? And then by the start of the second round, you started seeing that Tyson started getting uh, comfortable. And Dillian White started to look like the guy that I thought he would look like, a guy who didn't belong in the same ring with Tyson Fury. And it showed throughout the six rounds. So That's why I don't think that it was too much of a bad stoppage because you saw that Dillian White just did not belong in that ring with the heavyweight champion of the world because he was well on his way to being outclassed. Now, some will say, yeah, it's the heavyweight division. You're one punch away from being knocked out. I get it. But you're also a round away or a punch away from, you know, just having your career ended. And I just think that the referee did the right thing Before Tyson Fury really stepped on the gas after Dillian White was hurt and could have, you know, did some things that maybe would not have helped Dillian in the long run in his career. He still has more fights to go, but a lot more could have been taken out of him. So good action through the second, from the second on. It's not an all-time great heavyweight fight or nothing like that. I didn't I didn't think it would be an all-time great heavyweight fight because what I thought would happen happened in a sense. Now I thought Ty, I didn't think Tyson would go for the knockout or anything like that. I thought Tyson was gonna go in and, you know, just be convincing over 12 rounds. But Tyson Fury, ever since he showed up at the Crump Gym and showed up, you know, to to train with Sugar Hill. The nephew of Emmanuel Hill, Stu- Emmanuel Stewart. He's learned that Kronk style: how to sit down on your punches, how to follow through with your punches, and how to finish your opponent. How to really make him feel the 270 pounds or 280 pounds to feel all the weight, to feel all of the power behind your punch. So he has definitely benefited from that ever since that second fight with Deontay Wilder. You know. A lot of guys make coaching changes as an excuse because of their loss, but Tyson Fury made a coaching change because he realized he needed a different style. He needed a better style. He needed to you know, be, be able to have a stronger, more effective jab, but way more than that, he needed to have a right hand that was dangerous, that was scary, a hook and an uppercut that he would sit down on, and then afterward be able to get out the way also. Even though you sit down on the punch and you put more power into it, you're a little more susceptible to getting hit, but you can move out the way right after that. You have to definitely get training, you know, over and over and over again. And these athletes, they're remarkable when they get in that ring. So I continue to respect Tyson Fury, everything he's done, everything he continues to do for the sport of boxing. So shout out to him, you know, for, you know, just... Continuing to use his length, his jab, continuing to use his IQ in the ring to do whatever he wants. To knock you out or to go 12 rounds or to be able to have a slugfest, a memorable slugfest like he did against Otto Wallin. For those of you who haven't seen that fight, that to me was probably Fury's... Third most exciting fight behind the first and the third of Deontay Wilder. The second Deontay Wilder fight was just a mugging by by Tyson Fury, you know, and I loved every second of it. But when you talk about going back and forth, that Otto Valine fight, if you got ESPN or ESPN Plus, I definitely recommend that you go watch that. Well, ESPN Plus, it's in the vault. I definitely recommend you go watch that. Tyson Fury, his his uh, his right eye was swollen, was cut by a punch and he just did not have an easy night he won the fight but it was one of the toughest nights that he's ever had getting on to the business of why i'm here with tyson fury his post fight comments and i'm paraphrasing he was asked a question and he said that he thinks that he's the best heavyweight ever because he's 6'9 270 has the arm length um can move his feet like a middleweight And there's also a guy who can go 12 rounds. While all of those things are true, and I get where he's coming from, I would debate that Tyson Fury is the greatest heavyweight of all time. Now, I know he didn't use the word greatest, but he used that he's the best heavyweight ever. Now, Tyson Fury could probably be the most skilled heavyweight of all time. I believe that Muhammad Ali will have something to say about that. But let's not forget that, yes, everything he said is true. He's the tallest heavyweight champion ever, the biggest and heaviest heavyweight champion of all time. He is one of the longest armed heavyweight champions of all time, if not the the longest. Um, That one right there, I'm not 100% about. I will have to look that up. But he's definitely up there when it comes to reach. His feet move like a middleweight. You know, in in some regard, you know, obviously he's not going to move like a true middleweight, but we understand what he's saying. His feet are very light. I would say that Ali's feet were better. Ali was, what, 6'3, about, you know, 220 or something like that. Ali's feet were faster, quicker, and things like that. Obviously, he's way lighter. But as the heavyweight champion, as the heavyweight champion of the world, as the recognized lineal heavyweight champion of the world, uh, let's not. Let's not say that he has the quickest feet of all time in the heavyweight division. That, to me, would be Muhammad Ali. But a guy at 6'9", 270, if you've ever seen quicker feet than that outside of a basketball court, and maybe not even in a basketball court, these are probably the fastest feet you've ever seen at that size. So I understand where he's coming from. I understand what he's saying. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing with Tyson Fury. And him being one of the greatest of all time or the best of all time. Tyson Fury has two great wins. I think they should be three over the heaviest hitter in the history of the division in Deontay Wilder. An absolute mugging in the second fight, like I said earlier. And also uh, a very good win over one of the top five heavyweights of right now, Dillian White. And an easy win, just proving how far ahead Tyson Fury is of the all, of all the other heavyweights right now Tyson Fury has a win over one of the greatest heavyweights of all time obviously i have him in my top 10 Vladimir Klitschko Vladimir Klitschko was still good but he was not in his prime let's not let's not mistake that Vladimir Klitschko was you know just as good as he's going to get but Tyson Fury was definitely in his physical prime probably at that time he had trained great for that fight you know, he was just mentally ready in that fight and things like that. After that, things fell apart. He went into a depression, drinking drugs and stuff like that because he felt like he had no other mission to accomplish. And he said right after the fight, I'll probably go into depression or something like that. He said that right before the fight because now he has no mission in front of him. But he was so ready for that fight. He was, you know, he, he was fit. He was right. And the fight, while it was boring, Tyson, you know, showed that, when Tyson wants to show up and he's mentally there, he's going to look great. So he has a win, an all-time great win versus Vladimir Klitschko. He has two great wins over Deontay Wilder. He has a very good win over Dillian White. But the thing is that that's it. Outside of those wins that I just mentioned right now, those four wins... There isn't something deep to grab and root on Tyson Fury and give an argument to why he's the greatest heavyweight of all time. Now, can can we say that Tyson Fury would beat all of the other great heavyweights of all time? I believe that that, that is a discussion to be had, and I believe that's a real discussion. Because when you look at the things that Tyson Fury listed, that they're all true, 6'9", 270, 80-something you know, inch reach fast feet and all that, one of the top, you know, one of the top feet ever or, or one of the top footwork ever all time in the heavyweight division. That goes without saying. That's There's no doubt about that. Very good with his feet, very balanced with his feet. He understands how to move his feet. He understands how to get in position with his feet. So it's not just about the speed and the quickness. It's understanding where to put your feet and what to do with your feet that goes with that as well in the boxing ring. Let's not forget that Tyson Fury. The IQ with his feet is very. It's it's really really up there with the all-time great heavyweights. Um, when it comes to guys like Ali, when it comes to guys like Vladimir Klitschko, when it comes to guys like Lennox Lewis and things like that, Joe Lewis and 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 some of those great heavyweights that had good and and great footwork. So he's up there. He's arguably up there. I mean, just IQ with the feet. He is definitely, definitely up there. Might, you know, might have an argument to be the greatest ever at that or the best ever at that, the most skilled at that ever. Um, I believe that boxing historians could could definitely, you know, delve into that and, and guys who were watching those fights and were actually there that are still alive could, you know, comment on that when it comes to Muhammad Ali. The thing is, the question is for me, can Tyson Fury beat the guys in the top ten? Now, the other question that I know that that you want me to answer that you're saying is Tyson Fury the greatest heavyweight of all time? No, he only has four signature wins, one that is all time great, and the other two that people will and two others that people will remember. I, I understand that, but when we're talking about all time, we're talking about an, another all time top ten fighter in Vladimir Klitschko, a fight that was no good. People won't remember it as in like, that was a great fight, but they will always say first, he beat Klitschko because Klitschko was that great of a fighter. So in, in in saying that he only has those four wins on his resume that you're like, wow, or three great that you're like, wow, and another one that you're like, oh yeah, definitely, that's a credible win. It doesn't add up to saying that he's in the top 10 all the time. That's what I'm going to say. So I don't believe he's the greatest heavyweight of all time. He might be the most skilled heavyweight of all time. Like I said, Muhammad Ali would have something to say about that. But there's an argument for him being the most skilled heavyweight of all time. The thing with Tyson Fury is, I believe that he can be put right now, in this moment, in this time, as the as the best heavyweight in the world by far, can be put in this moment right now as one of the top 15 heavyweights of all time. That I will tell you. I will argue that. I will make my case, not only with the wins that he has, but also with the skill that he has. Also with the talent that he has. With the way that he performs in the ring. Now, this is the third best heavyweight era ever. The best heavyweight era of all time was in the 60s and in the 70s with Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier. Um, His name is escaping right now. Big George Foreman, Ron Lyle, you know, guys of that ilk. Larry Holmes in the later 70s. So we're talking about that was the greatest heavyweight era of all time. Number two was Mike Tyson. Lennox Lewis, uh, Vladimir Klitschko. Well, well, the Klitschko brothers came a little later, but we're going to say Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, Lennox Lewis, uh, the older George Foreman, Michael Moore, those guys. That was the second, the early 90s, the early in the mid 90s. That was the second greatest heavyweight era of all time. The third greatest heavyweight, heavyweight era of all time is right now. The end of Vladimir Klitschko, the prime of Tyson Fury, the prime of Anthony Joshua who who has fallen off and we'll see you get his title back. The prime of Oleksandr Usyk, the prime of Deontay Wilder. This is the third greatest heavyweight era of all time. And the number one guy by the number one guy by far is Tyson Fury. So, for me, that just says I can put him in the top 15. Because he's number one in his generation. And it's not close. Not close. I know some people are going to say, oh, you know, he got more than 10 seconds versus Fury. We can go back. and I mean, versus he is Fury. Versus Wilder, we can go back and watch the tape and things like that. And, you know, he got more than 10 seconds. Listen, there's an official count by the referee. The official count did not reach 10. Tyson Fury got up. And Tyson Fury won the fights. And the second fight, we already know what happened. That was a straight railroading. So can Deontay Wilder beat Tyson Fury? Possibly. We haven't seen it, though. So that's my thing with that. Tyson Fury... I believe, would fare against the top 10 heavyweights of all time like this. I I believe that because he's so big and so large, fast, smart, intelligent in the ring, ring generalship, great defense, by the way, all-time great chin, by the way. We're talking about a guy who probably has a better chin than most heavyweights ever, most. Now he's been down versus Deontay Wilder, obviously, who hasn't. Um, so one of the best chins in the history of the heavyweight division. Now you got other guys like Ray Mercer, Larry Holmes, uh, you know, George Foreman, but Tyson probably, you know, he's in the discussion for the for the greatest chin in the history of the division. No doubt. So seeing his size and the greatness of his chin. Rocky Marciano being under 200 pounds, he'd laid waste to Rocky Marciano. Jack Dempsey being a smaller heavyweight, he would lay waste to Jack Dempsey. Vladimir Klitschko, we saw that he beat him already. And Vladimir Klitschko was still really good, but not in his like absolute prime. I think that Klitschko could beat Tyson Fury back in Klitschko's prime. Now, I believe Fury could beat him as well. Evander Holyfield, when he was at his absolute best, Evander Holyfield had a great chin. Vander Holyfield's issue was that he had he had an issue with his heart. So at times in the fight, he would just look like he's dead because he had like a hole in his heart. I be, I, I hope that's the right medical term and. At times he would, he, he would just run out of energy. And a couple seconds later, a couple minutes later, like he'd look revived again, because he would be revived again. He had some heart stuff going on. He was physically fit to fight, but he had some heart stuff going on. Sometimes you see him in a fight, you'd be like, what's going on with the band It's like the fifth or sixth round. And, and it was the heart issue that would pop up. And then all of a sudden he'd be alive again and he'd start just pummeling you again and going to work again. I think that with Holyfield's great chin and Tyson Fury not being the greatest puncher in the history of the division and let's not forget, you know, Holyfield had some had great skills as well and had just had the greatest heart probably in the history of the division. I think that it would be a much better fight than Marciano and Dempsey for sure, no doubt. And a much better fight than Joe Frazier. Because I also think that Tyson Fury would lay waste to Joe Frazier. Well, Holyfield, obviously Tyson Fury will be the favorite. No doubt. I think with the speed and the quickness and the power of Holyfield, he could bother Tyson Fury. And with the fact that Tyson Fury can't, doesn't punch like one of the greatest punches in the history of division. I could see I could see Holyfield giving him problems. I'm not going to sit here and say that I could see Holyfield beating him. But I could see it being a good fight. Now, I'm not slam dunking it saying that Holyfield can't beat him. But I'm going to say that I would make Tyson Fury the prohibited favorite in that fight. So if you back me into a corner and you say, hey, listen, man, I need an answer. I would say that Tyson Fury wins that fight. And if they met in a rematch, I think Tyson Fury would win again. But, but it'd be hard. It, It wouldn't be cupcake fights. Now we get into Lennox Lewis. Another top 10 heavyweight I got. Lennox Lewis, I believe, would be one of the great challenges for Tyson Fury. I could see Lennox Lewis beating Tyson Fury. I could see Tyson Fury beating Lennox Lewis. I mean, that would be a massive fight in the U.K. You know, if you could fit more than 94,000 people as they did for the Dillian White fight, I I, I know that they will get more than 94,000 people in the stadium if it were possible they had a bigger arena in the, in the U.K., This would probably be the biggest fight in the history of U.K. boxing would be this fight right here with Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis had a good chin. He didn't have as good as a chin as Tyson Fury. But the guys that put Lennox Lewis out in the two losses had had a better one punch than Tyson Fury. So I don't think Lennox Lewis getting knocked out by Fury. But the reach is around the same. So Lennox Lewis would be able to fight in that mid-range and, and, and get close to him and hit him because Dillian White could not, ju- could not get the punch off that he wanted because his arms are too short and Fury is too tall and too long and could just pull his head back and he'd be out of range. It's not the case with Lennox Lewis, who had educated feet in the ring, who had an educated jab, and who had some... We had some good combos. So I could see each guy beating each other. Larry Holmes, the greatest jab in the history of the division. Larry Holmes had an all-time great chin. I mean, granite chin. We're talking about possibly the greatest chin in the history of the division. Possibly. I'm sitting here and I'm saying... Larry Holmes, with the kind of fighter that he was, with the ferocious kind of fighter that he was, I think would give Tyson Fury problems. Here's the thing, though. Larry Holmes depended on his jab. Larry Holmes, like I said, had the greatest jab in the history of the division, right? But you can't depend on your jab with Tyson Fury all night long for it to be your primary weapon. Now, obviously, you got to use your jab to set stuff up. We saw the we saw Deontay Wilder do that. You know, his jab got way better in the third fight. We used his jab going down to the body in the first and second rounds. He he deviated from that. That was his mistake. But a guy like Larry Holmes, I think, will go down to that body, jab that body, will try to set set up something upstairs. Like I said, with that kind of great chin. And Tyson Fury not being the greatest puncher in the heavyweight division of all time. I think Larry Holmes could eat some of that. I think Larry Holmes could get in get in the kitchen, you know, cook up some fire, and give him a tough fight. I, I could see Larry Holmes beating Tyson Fury. But I could just as easily see Tyson Fury beating Larry Holmes. So I got... I. I got Tyson Fury beating Jack Dempsey, Rocky Marciano easy, beating Holyfield in tough fights. But I got him going back and forth with Vlad, going back and forth with Lennox, going back and forth with Larry Holmes. Keep score at home. Joe Frazier, like I said, he would blitz Joe Frazier as well. George Foreman for me is another guy that's, that, that's tough because George, George, George Foreman also has one of the great chins in heavyweight history. The problem with George Foreman is that George Foreman will get exhausted. George Foreman will get tired from all the movement that Tyson Fury does and from the great chin that Tyson Fury has. And he also be punching up so his punches wouldn't be as crisp and as great. But I think that George Foreman could catch Tyson Fury with some punches. Now, for me... I believe George Foreman is a way better, more technically sound uh, Deontay Wilder. Now, he's not as tall, he's not as long, but he's smarter in the ring. So, could I see George Foreman beating Tyson Fury? I could, but only by knockout not sure if you're gonna keep Tyson Fury down for 10 seconds though but I'd favor Tyson Fury in that fight Jack Johnson Jack Johnson one of the one one of the most one of the toughest heavyweights of all time if not the toughest heavyweight of all time a man who knocked somebody out of the 26th round a man who will fight over 20 rounds I mean just all of the time just a great stamina warrior. I don't, I don't see Jack Johnson beating Tyson Fury though. Now, he'd be, he he's tough, and he's gonna get up, and he's gonna get up, and he's gonna get up. But I I don't see the skill level from Jack Johnson there to be able to, you know, keep up with Tyson Fury. And I've seen Jack Johnson fight. I know some of you saying, "Who the heck is Jack Johnson?" Go look him up. I got Tyson Fury winning that. Joe Lewis, small, smaller heavyweight, not one of the big heavyweights of all time. I think that you know because of Tyson's size is 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 his endurance taking a punch. He'd beat Joe Lewis. And Joe Lewis is arguably the second greatest heavyweight of all time. Held the the heavyweight championship for 11 years. The record still stands today. But I think that he's just too small for Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury too big, too skilled. And I got Tyson Fury in that fight. I don't think Joe Lewis could beat him. I don't think Jack Johnson could beat Tyson Fury. Then we get to the GOAT, the greatest of all time. We're talking about Muhammad Ali. I know it's the one you've been been waiting for me to say. What do you think about Ali versus Tyson? What I think about Ali versus Tyson, Mike Tyson, is that Ali win that easy. What I think about Ali versus Tyson Fury is this. I could see Tyson Fury beating Muhammad Ali, no doubt. I could see if Tyson Fury were to keep him out with his jab all night long and keep him at the end of his right hand and not let Ali get in there, I could see him beating him. But I could see Muhammad Ali beating him too because Muhammad Ali has the quickest feet in the history of the division. Muhammad Ali has some of the most educated feet in the history of the division. Muhammad Ali could take a punch. Tyson Fury's not going to one punch knock you out when you have that kind of great chin. Deontay Wilder has shown that because he hasn't one punch knockout Deontay Deontay Wilder in in the first knockdown, so I think that you know with with the war of attrition with time, yeah, Tyson could beat him. But I also believe that Ali could beat Tyson. So they go back and forth. That be the best of the best. This is all talks of life. Miss